Thank you uh, for joining us. So um, as we always do in our summer, we have a series of testimonies as we preach from one of the books uh, of the Bible. And so this summer, we're teaching from the Song of Solomon's. And for those that have been tracking with us the last few weeks, we know that this is basically a, a book about romance, about spiritual intimacy, about our relationship between us and God, and also between our natural relationships uh, between husband and wife or those who are being pursued. And so we're really excited this morning to have Steve and Pam Lee come up and share this morning. So I'm going to invite them to come up to the pulpit here and share their testimony. All right. Good morning, Five Stones. Um, good morning. Um, my name is Stephen. This is my wife, Pam. Um, this has been an interesting and challenging exercise to recall our journey. Me being male and me being Asian, I don't really talk about our love journey. Um, so, so it wasn't um, easy, but here we go. It all started in 1999 at SFU. Um, I didn't know Pam until my final year. We both majored in chemistry, and in our senior years, we had more classes together, the classes were getting smaller, we shared common friends, and so we interacted more. A bunch of us became good friends and started hanging out regularly. Um, over the course of our final semester, I grew closer to Pam, and I guess we built up chemistry in chemistry. <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pam was always late to class, and I always remembered Pam coming in, into the lecture hall five to ten minutes late. And she always sat in front of me. And I wondered if Pam purposely came late into class so that I would notice her. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed her presence, we joked a lot, and she made dry, boring chemistry class enjoyable. After our graduation, a group, a group of our friends went camping. Before then, I, I never really got to spend time with her and I definitely wanted to get, her, get to know her better. And soon after, I asked her on a date. Me being Korean and her being Chinese, I got excited. Why? I love Chinese fruitcake, and, <laughs> and then I figured I would get to eat more of it. But nope, she doesn't like Chinese fruitcake. But that's okay. But I can now go to a Chinese restaurant and have someone order in Chinese and order off the secret Chinese menu. But nope, she can't speak Chinese. As we started hanging out more in our senior year, um, there was a tiny crush that started building up as we got to know each other. Um, Steve always had a smile on his face, showing off his deep, cute dimples. Um, he was silly, and we just joked around a lot. Steve has always been a very humble and down-to-earth guy, not the type who wanted to be in the limelight nor showcase himself. Um, he is a smart guy, but also very sporty. I also found that he was um, a man of faith, and this really impressed me. I do not meet a lot of guys who are quite committed to their church and whose social circle was around church. I also got excited dating a Korean guy because I thought it meant feasting on you know, those Korean barbecue dinners or explore authentic Korean food that I haven't tried before. Um, but I was wrong. I didn't realize Steve is not a typical Korean, but more like a typical Canadian, and he loves his pizza and burgers over anything else. I enjoyed being with Pam. She was cute, smart, adventurous. I'm able to be goofy around her. Pam was fun to be with. Dating life was great. Before I knew it, we've been dating for three years. Yes, three years, dating is a long time. And then Pam started to ask the question. 
the question that all guys avoid, that is, where is their relationship going? I kept on avoiding it and let things be, enjoy what we had. I avoided it because I knew of the complications that, that would come. I didn't want to tell her, so, so I kept it in. I didn't want the fun to stop. I didn't want to face the seriousness of a relationship. One of the obstacles was with my mother. My mom would have wanted to pick who I would date and who I would marry. She would have wanted me to marry a nice Christian Korean girl, and not just any nice Christian Korean girl, but a nice Christian Korean girl that she would handpick for me. My mom lived the traditional Korean way. Pam, well, she was nice. One out of three. <laughs> so like Steve mentioned, um, our honeymoon phase uh, was during the first three years of our relationship. Everything was really going well and we hardly fought. Um, but when we did, most of the time it boiled down to one thing, and that was his mom. Back then, I just couldn't understand why this was so difficult for him. Everyone else in his family had met or knew of me, um, but to his mom, I was still a secret. And um, the longer our relationship went, it was more painful for me to accept. I guess it's true when people talk about the two or three year itch. Um, I guess I had that. It's not only that I wanted to get married, um, or it's not that I wanted to get married right then, but I wanted more assurance that Steve and I had the same intention for our future. But at that point, I wasn't so sure. Um, so I came to a major crossroads in my life. I, was, I always wondered what it would be like to go back to Philippines, to be with, closer to my family, and even start a new venture of our own. I also thought I missed the way of life there. Then again, should I just stay here where I am, with an average job, alone without family, and in a relationship where I, was, where I wasn't so sure where it would lead? I was doing my Bible reading one night, then there was a verse that helped me make my decision. Proverbs um, 3, um, verse 5 to 6. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This wasn't the first time that I've read this verse before, but it was the first time that I felt like it was really speaking directly to me. This word gave me the strength and assurance that I needed to move forward. I think being a scientist, um, you make decisions based on the facts that you have and try to predict what can happen in the future. This verse taught me that trusting God, what trusting God really meant. You can make a decision even when you don't have all the facts in your hands and don't have a clue what the future will bring. But if you surrender to God, somehow you still feel at peace moving forward. So I followed my heart um, and what my heart was calling out to do, even though it was a painful decision. I chose to go back to Philippines and risk losing my relationship with Steve. Going back to the Philippines was a decision I do not regret. Um, there were plenty of hard times, stressful times, as well as lonely times, but also fun times and valuable experiences that have helped shape me for who I am today. I dedicated three years of my life, um, and in those three years, even in my happiest times, I still felt something was missing. Pam and I never broke up. Before she left, we made the decision to stay together and see how things will go. If it wasn't working, then we'll break it off, but we never did. We stayed committed, focused on each other. There was no FaceTime, no WhatsApp, no Viber back then, and we had to re rely on paid long-distance calls and slow dial-up internet. Long-distance relationships was hard and expensive. So Steve came to visit me once a year, and every visit, my family and friends anticipated a proposal was on the way. Um, 
And my mom got so excited, she was practically giving me away, but it didn't quite happen. After two years, Steve did ask me to come back. I think we were both done with the long distance thing. Um, I know it's not a proposal, but I knew he truly loved me. I knew he was ready to act on the mom issue and take on the next huge step. Steve had never held me back from doing what I wanted to do with my life, but this was the first time that he has asked me for something major. So here I am, yet another major crossroad. This time I knew that the person I needed to be with was Steve. He is the one for me. When I am with him, even though so many things are missing, I still feel happy and complete. But this means I'm choosing him over my family. This decision was heartbreaking as well and was not easy at all. But with my wonderful and ever supportive family, um, they never made me feel like I was letting them down and they gave me their full blessings. I don't know, I'm kinda emotional. <laughs> at that point, I was ready to let go and go back home to Canada. After a year, I made my way back to Steve. So she left for three years. At that point, I realized how much she meant to me, how much she was part of my life. But still, I didn't want to face the realities of the issues that will arise. However, when she came back to Canada, I finally, yes, I've already had, realized that she was the one, and I needed to act. And it wasn't fair for her to be waiting, and if I weren't going to marry her, we would have to end our relationship. So on March 28th, 2007, which is my birthday, I proposed to her. Since we were going to get married, there were, there were a couple of main issues that, we had, that had to be resolved. Our religious upbringing was an issue. She was Catholic, I was Protestant. I was born and raised in a Christian home. She was born and raised in a Catholic home. My mom was going to freak. <laughs> I went to a Korean church in my youth. I didn't know too much about Catholicism. Both Protestants and Catholics believed in God, right? I researched on Yahoo. Google wasn't popular back then, <laughs> but it was still hard to understand. So I consulted my pastor friends, and they tried to explain it to me with sport analogies. Steve, it's like the National Hockey League was teams split into the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. Or in baseball, teams split into the National League and the American League. You don't, you don't get that, right? Okay. okay, I get it now. I, I give Pam credit too, as she also did her best to understand what my church was, was about. She, she attended my church services and I attended hers to learn each other's practices. So Steve and I used to spend our Sundays apart um, with each of us going to our own church. But as we start to plan our future lives together, we knew this had to change. We wanted to start worshiping together and build our family based on one solid foundation. We had a lot of conversations and debates around this, but we really invested the time to get to know each other's religion. In the end, to make a long story short, the more I got to know Steve's church, the more I liked it, I was drawn to it, and I guess I fell in love with his church too. Next, the hard part, my mom. Over some time, I gradually introduced the idea that I was dating someone, someone who wasn't Korean. She was in denial, dating fine, but marriage was definitely out of the question. My mom was from the old school and the older generation, and it would be difficult to change your mind. There are lots of arguments, lots of uncomfortable family dinners, lots of prayers, lots of consultations. My mom had to get over the different cultures and see Pam's heart. I eventually told my mom I was going to marry Pam. It came to a point where I had to move forward, forward, and if she couldn't respect my feelings, if she couldn't see beyond race and culture, if she couldn't just be happy for me, I would marry Pam without my mom's blessing. It was the hardest decision in my life. 
Then out of the blue, I got a call from my mom that she wanted to meet Pam. We all, we all got together for dinner, and Pam being Asian brought fruit for my mom. And, <laughs> and in return, my mom grilled Pam with questions. I guess Pam gave her the right answers or some really tasty fruit since I got my mom's blessing to marry her. So as of last month, um, we celebrated our 12-year wedding anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> so I could give you a quick math. So that was like nine years of courtship in 12 years. So that's a long time. <laughs> and as years go by, I have more reasons why I fall in love with Steve. I wouldn't be standing here today at Five Stones Church without Steve. It was through my relationship um, with him that I've developed a more meaningful and deeper relationship with God. When I get carried away worrying about worldly things and problems, he is my constant reminder of what really matters in life and keeps me grounded and brings me back to God. We complement each other in every way. We're so opposite, yet we fit, we fit well together. He is an engaged dad and a dedicated husband who leads our family well. Steve has not only made my life better and happier, but he has taught me to live a life more focused on God. Why do I love Pam? She understands me. Despite all of my faults, despite of all my weaknesses, she loves me for who I am. She also challenges me and takes me, out, uh, takes me out of my comfort zone. I am a creature of habit. Before I met her, I didn't explore much in terms of food, travel, activities. I ate the same things, ordered the same dishes at restaurants, did the same usual ac activities. I also always took the safe and easy road in life, but since knowing and being with Pam, she has always challenged me to try new things, to take risks, and to, let, and to not let obstacles deter my decisions. Pam is also teaching me to love. She has an unselfish, sharing, and giving heart. She has an extremely huge loving heart. I can say God has truly gifted her with love. She teaches me, challenges me daily. She's also the glue in our family making sure we are all cared for, cared and loved for. So that's it. That's the summary of our love story. Um, thank you, Pastor Rich, and to your family for laughing at our lame jokes. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you for asking us to do this uh, testimony. It was an honor for both Steve and myself to be able to share it with our church. Thank you, Pam and Steve. That was... Wonderful. Of course, I got an early preview of their story, and I was definitely chuckling all along the way, but it was even better to hear it in person. Such a wonderful story. And I have to say, I really love your opening line, where you said, I guess we built up chemistry in chemistry. I guess you guys had quite a reaction to each other. <laughs> Sodium Steve plus chloride Pam makes for a powerful bond. <laughs> and as we heard, the rest is history. So uh, in keeping with this theme, my message uh, this morning is entitled Spiritual Chemistry. And uh, it comes from this verse in chapter 6 in the Song of Songs, verses 8 and 9. And this is what the scripture says, and Solomon is speaking, there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful testimony given to us by Pam and Steve. We thank you for its encouragement, Lord, the perseverance, Lord, how you spoke to their hearts. And now, God, as we look into your scripture, we ask that you speak to our hearts in an ongoing way. We thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So this verse is, is quite a statement by Solomon, the king. As you know, uh, by the end of Solomon's life, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 11. That is some statistic. I remember reading this for the first time as a young Christian, and I had to reread that verse several times. 700 wives. Wow. How did he manage that? That's a lot of relationships to juggle. That's a lot of wedding anniversaries to celebrate. 700 anniversaries are more than there are days in a year. That means he had multiple wedding anniversary celebrations per day. Wife number 644 and wife number 7, we get to celebrate our wedding today. Uh, let's see, I've been married to you for 6 years, I've been married to you for 20 years. Wow, he definitely had to have someone to manage all those activities, and it sounds a bit exhausting. But at the time of the writing of this book, he had only 140 wives, 60 queens and 80 concubines, as the verse told us. That's a lot of beautiful women to have around. That's like dating every woman from the Miss Universe pageant, and then they all become your wife. Many would say that Solomon had it made. But here's the thing, and I don't know if this uh, slide is up or not. You can um, turn it off. Many, uh, many would have said that Solomon had it made, but here's the thing. Of the 140 wives, as beautiful as they were, none of them were inspired None of them inspired him to write a best-selling book about them. It was someone outside the 140 wives that mesmerized him. I guess we could say that it was number 141. That was the one that really stole his heart. But how could this be? Did not the other 140 have, as Solomon would write in poetry, eyes like doves and hairs like flocks of goats? Were not their lips like scarlet ribbons, necks like the Tower of David, breasts like two fawns? Didn't the 140 have legs like jewels and navels like a rounded goblet? I mean, I love this poetry. And I know Pastor John a couple weeks ago shared how he, it's really hard for him to get into this, but I think this is just masterful prose. And uh, next week I intend to tease a little bit about his aversion to poetry. But were not the 140 also excelling in beauty and gorgeous to behold? No doubt. So what accounts for the fact that the Shulamite woman was being called out, who is the focus of this book? Why was she the one that was singled out? We can say in two words, it was because of spiritual chemistry. There were sparks between Solomon and the humble peasant girl from Shunem that Solomon could scarcely have imagined. No doubt there was love and romance and excitement that Solomon experienced in the previous 140 weddings, but the chemistry that he experienced with the Shulamite was altogether different. And it points to the love that we experience with God. It's altogether different. We may experience human love on this side of heaven, and it may fill us with joy and happiness and excitement, pleasure, but when we meet and experience and encounter God's love, that's a game changer. It takes our breath away. It makes our heart to sing. In one way, we can say that this is why we have millions upon millions of worship songs through the ages in every tongue, tribe, and nation. Each generation has found that they must give expression to the unspeakable love 
that they found in God. Each song is a song of songs about the unimaginable greatness of his love for us. And we never exhaust of our compositions because God's love is infinite and radiant and rich without measure, strong and tender, personal, expansive, layered and broad, mind-blowing and heart-stopping. And this is why I became a scientist that turned into a pastor. His love rocked my world. His love defied definition and reduction and formulation. His love is the wonder of wonders. There is no one that I bond to like God. No one with which I have better chemistry than God. In fact, Solomon's choosing of the Shulamite woman over the other 140 speaks to one of the great doctrines of the Bible. We are chosen by him. We are God's favorite. He picked us out. We are number 141. In fact, I think I should turn that into a t-shirt. You are number 141. And this is one of the great revelations of the Bible. The Shulamite woman who came from the humble vineyards of Shunem, she didn't have any theological training, but she had great insight into this doctrine. I'm 141. So what is this great notion of being chosen by God? In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Then this verse here in 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Just think about that. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Before he created everything, we were already in his heart. He already imagined us. He was already delighting in us. In this kind of divine time warp that we can't understand, he chose us before we were even created. Before he had created the trees and the mountains and the rivers, streams and beavers and eagles and stars in the sky. Being chosen by someone is flattering. It's validating. Wow, they like me. They picked me. So how does God choose us? I want to break it down into four aspects using four key words that theologians use to describe this process. The first is that it begins with an effectual calling. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says that God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of him, that none would perish. God calls everyone to himself. No one is left outside. A lot of people think of Christianity as a religion of exclusion and narrow, but God is the most inclusive person in the world. John 3.16 says he died for the whole world. There's not a single person that's outside his view. There is no one in his peripheral vision. It's all in his primary vision. He leaves the 99 to come after the one. In Matthew 4, verses 19 and 20, as Jesus was beginning his ministry in Capernaum, he saw these two fishermen. They were brothers by the name of Peter and Andrew. And in those famous verses, the scripture says that he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The effectual call was going out. And as he continued to minister in Galilee and in the nation of Israel, he would see different ones and see that they were being called by the Father. Later on in Matthew 9, he called Matthew the tax collector, follow me. 
And in both these cases, and many other cases that are not recorded, the scripture says they immediately got up and followed him. They were drawn. They were compelled. There was something about his words, about his presence, about his demeanor. And they, we want to go after this guy. We've never seen anyone like him. This call goes out to every person. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Effectual calling is God's special working upon a person. So they respond in faith. Second dynamic that we have is illumination. As we sing in amazing grace, I once was blind, but now I see. We are spiritually blind until the Holy Spirit comes to open our eyes. Now, we can be very passionate in our ignorance. We can really believe we're right. We can really believe that we're doing the right thing. The Apostle Paul was in ignorance, and yet he was passionate about the fact that he was doing God's will by persecuting Christians. But then the illumination came. The eyes were open. And prior to the illumination, we don't recognize God for who he is. We don't realize that he is the one that's pursuing us. In Matthew 16, there was a burning question that was buzzing among the crowds. And Jesus was asking the disciples after a period of time of him revealing himself to the people. And so he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And this could be one of the most crucial questions that we ever have in our life, is trying to figure out who is Jesus Christ? Who is the Son of Man? Now, a lot of them gave pretty decent answers, but they were only spiritual approximations. Some said, you're John the Baptist. Others said, oh, you must be Elijah. Others said, you're like Jeremiah. Close, but not the bullseye. And so Jesus said to Peter, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Illumination. So it's times of eating and being with Jesus, and ministering with him, something in his thoughts began to turn over. Something began converted in his understanding that he is not just John the Baptist. He is not just Elijah or Jeremiah. This is the Son, the Christ of the living God. And in return, when Simon responded, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Illumination has to come by the Holy Spirit. It can't just be taught in that sense. It can't just be imparted by natural understanding or methods. The Holy Spirit has to come and work. It is a divine work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the definition of illumination is the work of the Holy Spirit, giving understanding into who Christ is. And once the light turns on, everything changes. You see the one who is calling you. He is the image of the invisible God. He's not just among the other gods. He's not just the founder of a good religion. No, he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of creation. He's the one that created all things and all things hold together by him. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. No one else has risen up from the grave except for Jesus. That's the unique claim of Christianity is our founder rose up from the grave. And death could not keep him down. Can anyone else make that claim? No. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We are not talking about some conceptual construct. We are talking about a man that manifested in the flesh like you and me. And he rose up from the grave. And the Bible says that the fullness of deity dwelt in him. Illumination. 
so key. I once was blind, but now I see. Out of that, we come into regeneration. We were dead, but now we're reborn. Faith is birthed in you that leads to salvation. Illumination leads to surrender, like we sang this morning. In Luke chapter 5, it goes into a little bit more detail on how he got saved. Being a fisherman, the scripture tells us they were engaged in their occupation. They were fishing all night. They came up empty. They were frustrated. They get to the shore, and lo and behold, Jesus is there teaching. And Jesus is quickened by the Holy Spirit to turn this into an object lesson. So he says to Peter and his comrades, put down your nets again. And Peter, of course, privately is completely like, in disbelief, like, why would you tell us what to do? We know that you're a rabbi and you're a teacher, but you don't know anything about fishing. But out of respect for Jesus, he says, okay, let's put down the nets. We know how the story goes. The scripture says they caught a great number of fish, so much so that their nets were breaking. And by the way, as an aside, God wants to bless us beyond what we can think or imagine. So it's just so full. This is God's abundance and generosity towards us. So Peter, seeing the nets that are full, he says to his partners to come and help. So they came and filled the boat, so much so that the boats were singing with, sinking with the heavy load. But then when they got on shore, here's what happens. Peter doesn't go over to Jesus and just give him a high five, thank you for blessing me, although that was part of it. Instead, he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Illumination had come to him as he saw the fish being brought in. He realized who he was in God. He realized that he was in a place of unbelief and darkness. But when the fish came in, the Spirit brought regeneration to his heart. That illumination led to surrender, which was the work of regeneration. It's defined formally as the work of the Holy Spirit in creating a new life in a sinful person who repents and comes to believe in Jesus. You become a son of God, a daughter of God. You are his. You become part of the bride, which then consummates in our fourth point. You come into everlasting joy. Isaiah 35, verse 10, says, The ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. I love the combination of those two words. Number one, joy. Not temporal joy, not just spontaneous joy, but everlasting joy will be upon their heads. That's the blessing that God is pouring out upon us when we come into salvation. They will find gladness and sorrow and sighing will flee away. God wants to drive away the sorrow in your life, the sighing in your life, the pain. He wants to come and heal. And when you come into this place, you sing the song. You fall madly in love with God. There is an undeniable chemistry. The beloved said in chapter 6 of Song of Songs, I am my beloved and he is mine. She's accepted it now. Remember in chapter 1 how she said, I'm dark, I'm comely, I'm swarthy. As in, don't come near to me. You're royalty. I'm just this humble peasant girl. <coughs> I can't receive or accept your attention or love. But now in chapter 6, she's come into the revelation, and she owns it, and she receives it, and she says, I am my beloved, and he is mine. 
He's won me over. Solomon has won me over. God has won over my heart. He pursued me. This is why guys must pursue girls. It's the biblical pattern. God has created women's hearts to be won over. We can't be lukewarm. We can't be indecisive. We need to be strong. We need to speak words of definition. We need to be leaders. We need to get a pair. We need to be strong. God wins us over. This is where the magic is, where the sparks fly, being wooed and won. But here's the part that that kills me. How does God have chemistry with every person on earth? In my human limitations, there are only a few people in which I will have that electric feeling. I may walk through life and meet thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people. But there's only a handful in which I have that electric sense, that amazing chemistry, whether it's with my wife or my best friends, where you just love being in their company and you just get them and they just get you. We heard in Pam and Steve's testimony that feeling of, Pam gets me, Steve gets me. And one of the, the verses in the Bible that draws us to God is that we are known by him. He gets us, he knows us. And God's ability to bond with every kind of personality just makes me shake my head in wonderment. Because in my natural self, I could never get along with that person or that person because they are to this or they are to that. They rub me this way or they rub me that way. But God never has any of those issues. He doesn't just get along with everyone. He's over the moon with each person. He's excited about you. Like you're excited about chocolate cake on your birthday. And that's a testament to God's amazing personality. He has chemistry. And the kingdom is all about chemistry. Of all the chemistry majors at SFU, Steve didn't just go for anyone. He went for the cute one that would always come in late and sit in front of him. Only Pam would do. Of all the chemistry majors at SFU, Pam didn't go for any of the nerdy guys. She went for the cute one with dimples and the athletic one. Only Steve would do. They had enough chemistry to blow up the lab. There was no way the beakers would not start smoking and boiling over unless Steve and Pam were in the solution. It was a delayed reaction, but I'm glad you caught it. That's the picture of love between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Fiery passion. Deep, deep bond. Amazing chemistry. And that's the picture that God invites us to. That's the picture of love between God and us. Friend, you are known by God. He gets you. He gets you. Every time you talk to him, you don't have to work through the miscommunication. Like, what did you say? What did you mean? On this earth, like when I talk to my wife, she leads out the subject all the time. I do not know what she's talking about or referring to. But when she talks to God, God doesn't say, now what were you saying? Can you repeat that? It's unfettered, pure, heart-to-heart connection. He gets us. And there's nothing like being understood. There's nothing like, wow, they really, really understand me. That's what draws us to God. And then in return, we love because he first loved us. 
And so when Solomon and the Shulamite woman, maybe at the first glance, there was something magical that happened, even though the relationship had not yet been developed, but there was a sense of knowing of one another. So much so that she was elevated above the other 140. We are number 141. I want you to pray this for the next few days in your quiet time. Would you do that for me? Just say, God, thank you that I'm number 141. And just let that thought sink in, that you are loved by God and that you are chosen by God. So, Father, we thank you for the testimony. We thank you for the relationship that's pictured here for us in the Song of Songs. There are maidens without numbers. There are queens. There are wives. But you, my dove, are unique. We are unique. There's no one else like us. No snowflake is the same. No fingerprint is the same. And no person is the same. And God designed it that way. Before the foundations of the world, while you were just still a thought in the heart of God, he said, I choose you. And I send my son to redeem you so that you can experience this mind-blowing love. And maybe this morning you've logged on for the first time and you've been sensing God bringing you back to him. You came to the right channel at the right time because this is the good news of Jesus Christ reaching down to touch you and to heal you and to release you from all guilt and shame. That's what the cross is about. That's what the mighty cross is about, is to set us free and to deliver us so that we can come back to God unfettered and to be known by this creator. And I invite you to accept Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And all you have to pray is say, God, I'm willing to be 141. I give myself to you now. And maybe you've been in a place where you've known God and you grew up in church, but you've walked away from church. You've been hurt by church. Friend, we've all been hurt by church. There are times I don't even want to go to church and I'm the pastor. But we have to look past all of that. (coughs) And we need to look up to God, the maker of heaven and earth. And I'm inviting you back to Father's house. Don't be out there anymore. Don't waste your treasures. Don't lose any more time. Come back to Father's house because He's here to receive you. So God, this morning, would you deepen your revelation of the great love that you have for us? Holy Spirit, just come right now. Just come right now. Come right now with your presence. Just pray back to God what he's spoken to you during this time. Just pray back to him. We thank you, God, for this morning. Pray for all the families that are out and about this weekend, enjoying just our beautiful city and our beautiful province. Keep them safe, and may the joy of the Lord be upon them. We thank you now in your name. Amen and amen. 
Blessings to you this week, and we'll see you online next Sunday.